Okay, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. Key to the City podcast. We're still moving along. You know who it is. It's your country cousin, Yoni, man. And we're back for episode 36 of season two. Can you believe it? I'm putting that work in. That's right. And I appreciate everybody that's been supporting whatever you've been doing uh, to spread the word, liking, sharing, coming. I sure enough appreciate it. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And we don't take it for granted here at Key to the City. Uh, we want to thank our last guest that we had for episode 35, Mr. Maximus Wright. He's a uh, writer, producer, director, uh, film producer. He does everything. Y'all definitely want to check out his latest project, Extensionalism. I think I said that right. It's hard. Uh, but check it out and uh, support. It's a concept movie. But just like uh, with Mr. Wright, we're always going to try to give you quality content and quality guests. And this episode is no different. Uh, today, we'll be speaking with the Mississippi Bell Fund Collective. Uh, finding out more about them, we have two representatives here with us. Uh, Ms. Rukia Lamumba, attorney and transformative justice strategist, human rights activist, and founder of the People's Advocacy Institute, as well as Ms. Katie Poor. She's a criminal defense attorney uh, with the Mississippi Public Defenders, um, and she fights for indigent clients facing death-eligible charges, which uh, we definitely need more of that uh, in society. And the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective is a coalition of social workers, attorneys, and activists from across Mississippi working to address the injustices perpetuated by Mississippi cash bail system. Yes, Lord, it has des- devastated cash poor communities. And uh, some people have to wait years before their cases are even heard. And uh, since May 2019, the collective has returned 19 men and women home. We applaud them for that. And they're home for the Holidays Bail Fund effort. Uh, we'll continue through the end of January 2021. Uh, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the city. Rukia Lumumba and Katie Poor of Mississippi Bell Fund Collective. How you doing, ladies? Good, good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so hey. excited to be here. Thanks so much. No, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, how your day going so far? Good. It's good. Busy. No, it's inauguration day. Inauguration so. day, yes. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. We'll be talking about that. Um, so let's just dive right into it. I think this is a topic that my audience definitely needs to be educated on, as well as myself. Um, I'm not familiar with cash bail. I had to go to jail one time for a suspended license, but they just set me in a holding cell and sent me home. So, you know, I don't have any experience with it. So let's get into it. Uh, I know I did a brief introduction about MBFC, but can we talk about when it was established and what its overall mission is? Hey, do you want me to try to to tackle that? Why don't you jump on in, Rikia? Okay. All right. So the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective, like you said, is a coalition of social workers, of attorneys, of a number of different um, concerned residents, but also folks who have themselves experienced Um, you know, jail and having to need the support of bail. Um, And so we're a a real unique collective of folks who are really concerned. Um, It started back in, we're we're, we're new, we're pretty new. We started in 2019 um, with support by National Bailout, which was our first, you know, um, uh, real donor that helped us to begin to bail out Black mamas who um, were sitting behind bars because they couldn't afford bail. Um, And so the Public Defender Service, One Voice Mississippi, Forward, um, uh, U.S., 
Thomas Bellender Law Firm, uh, Black Youth Project 100. I'm sure I'm going to leave somebody out. Uh, Clean Slate Behavioral Health Services. Those were the initial uh, Mississippi votes. Um, those were the initial organizations that we all came together and said, we need to do something about cash bail in Mississippi. And so immediately we came together. Um, within our first few months, we bailed out, I want to say, uh, five folks. Mm-hmm. Um, our first mama we bailed out was a mother who literally her son had pulled the fire extinguisher at her apartment complex. You know, 10 years old, around. So the neighbors called the police. The police came, found, arrested her for a five-year-old warrant, a a warrant she had no idea she even had for Mm -hmm. allegedly credit card fraud, where she had overcharged her credit card. Wow. Locked her up, put her behind bars. Luckily, her mother had just heard about our bail fund, reached out to one of us and immediately said, can you help bail out my daughter? We were able to get her out within a couple of days, um, but not only get her out, get her back on her feet because our bail fund, we include not only pay cash bail, right? Go to the court and pay in cash bail. Mm-hmm. And I think Katie can talk more about why that's important. But then we also provided social support. So the, in that short period of time, she missed two days of work, ended up um, having to, um, you know, reapply for new jobs. Mm-hmm. She classes and she got kicked out of her apartment. She was evicted. So we provided support to help her get back on her feet in all of those ways. And then luckily we also were able to provide legal support because we're a collective that includes attorneys. And so through the support of Bellender Law Firm, we were able to um, represent her case and her charges were dismissed. Right. And so, you know, and then we have a lot of stories, but I'll let Katie Right. Did you want to piggyback on that, Katie? Or well, I was just thinking maybe it might help to talk a little bit about how the how how bail gets set to folks who don't know. That's what Um, I was going to ask. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I'm glad I'm reading your mind. Oh, Uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) So when folks get arrested, Mm -hmm. they brought in front of the judge, and the judge gets to make a determination about. Um, the conditions of release. Now, the way the law is set up in Mississippi is they're supposed to choose the least restrictive way to get you back to court, right? And they're really only supposed to set monetary conditions to try and get you back to court if there's some reason to think that you're a danger to the community or if there's some reason to think that you're not going to return to court, that you're a flight risk. Mm -hmm. What often happens, though, is that courts are too reliant on setting a cash amount of bail, right? Of saying, okay, you are charged with this crime. And so for you to be able to get your freedom and to go home and fight your case from the outside, you're going to have to post, you know, $10,000, $20,000, $50,000. Well, if you have $10,000, $20,000, $50,000, or if your family does and you can go to a bondsman to do that, then you are going to be on the outside fighting your case, right? You're going to be at home. You're going to keep your job. You're going to keep your house. You're going to keep your kids. You're not going to have to worry about all the real harms that come to folks who are sitting inside. And in addition, you're going to be able to meet with your lawyer in their office, right? So it's a, it's a lot easier to fight your case if you're on the outside. Now, if you can't 
afford bond, if your family can't afford to go to a bondsman, and certainly if your family doesn't have the ability to do that, um, you're going to sit in jail waiting for your case to go to trial. And as a public defender, I think the most important decision that happens in someone's case is actually whether or not bond gets set. Because let's say that you are sitting in jail for two years waiting for trial, which is common, right? Mm -hmm. People sit in jail for a long time waiting for trial. So let's say you sit in jail for two years waiting for trial. You go to trial and it's great. You get a not guilty verdict and you go home. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But what happened in those two years? What happened in those two years while you were waiting for trial? You probably lost your job. You might have lost your house. You might have experienced some sort of psychological trauma from being incarcerated in jail. Mm -hmm. And to mention, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So you are in a situation where you cannot socially distance. You are in a situation where you are at more danger and you can't control your own behavior, right? right? You can't control whether or not you're taking precautions because you're in jail. So all of these things are real, real harms to folks who are unable to post bail just because of how much money they have. And so that's why the bail fund was really formed to end with this goal of ending wealth-based detention, right? We don't want to exist forever. We would love to go out of business. We don't want to be a bail fund forever. We want there to be an end to wealth-based detention, right? But while there is still wealth-based detention, we're here to support folks. Right. And we appreciate it. And I'm glad you brought up the waiting period um, because when we were scheduling this interview, uh, I immediately thought of the Khalif Browder case. And uh, that one hit home for me. Um, and it just made me, I want to ask, like, aren't situations like these unconstitutional or is it at the discretion of the judge or whoever holds the power? Well, the there's the Cleve Browder story for folks who, who aren't maybe aware um, was a really tragic case in New York City um, of a young man who was locked up pre-trial. It was a charge of, you know, and his family couldn't afford his bond, right? And so he sat in jail for years. And for a lot of that time, he was in solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. Um, When his case was ultimately over, he, the psychological impact of that incarceration was ultimately too much for him. And he ended up committing suicide. And it's a real, real tragedy. And a I think you are absolutely right to bring it up because it underlines the real human cost of our cash bail system, among other problems with incarceration, right? Because there's also issues of solitary confinement there. But to get back to the constitutional question, unfortunately, there's a lot of situations where people can be in jail for a long time and it maybe does not, it's a case by case thing, but it maybe does not run afoul of the constitution, right? Because there's a speedy trial issue there. You are entitled to speedy trial, but oftentimes judges will say that, you know, oh, well, we're giving this extension because 
they need more time to prepare. We're giving this extension because they need more time to get witnesses because for the state to have more time. So I think it's pretty common. And there's also a lot of backlog in the system. Right. And I think that's true, not just in New York City, but that's a that's true in a lot of places in Mississippi, too. So it's really, really a problem. Um, and it's something that a lot of our clients, although the Khalif Browder story is an especially tragic one, the issues of cash bail and the, the psychological trauma of being locked up is far, far too common. And it, 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 you know, just to add to, to that, um, Katie, is that it also has collateral consequences for everyone involved. When we think of Khalif Browder, literally within the same year, his mother passed about yes. a year or two later, his mother died. That's a stress that we have to acknowledge. And there are stressors that come in many forms. And one is the suffering of your child and then the suffering of your child after, right? Or incarceration or detention for however long that is. That's a, a deep, 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 deep stressor. And so, you know, we got to look at the collateral consequences. The other thing is that even here in Mississippi, we have our own stories that are extremely similar to the Khalif Browder story. I think of the young man, Kajorium, who was literally living, um, sitting in isolation in an adult facility um, in Mississippi. Um, I, I Right now, I don't remember the exact county that he was in for two years. And this mm. is a young person who has who had mental health delays, um, challenges, uh, educational delays, as well as mental health um, challenges, sitting in isolation at 15 years old for two years before his case was actually brought to trial and a decision made on his case. And, you know, the, the psychological toll that that has on him and on his family, um, we're seeing it. We recently bailed out um, a couple of young people this year, one of which had been in for about a year, Katie, um, uh, and he had chronic illness. He had a chronic illness that he was dealing with. And having to manage chronic illness inside of a facility, right, mm. um, is extremely hard when you haven't been found guilty of anything, right? right? You have a better chance of just living a better quality of life and fighting your case if you have the opportunity to do that on the outside. And that's what we want to do. Absolutely. Create a greater sense of justice. And not to get too far off uh, tangent, but uh, I'm sure you all are familiar with the case that's going on right now. Um, I don't think it's been tried yet, but with the uh, the young black male that shot and killed the older white gentleman after the altercation in their neighborhood. Um, I'm having a blank right now, uh, but he was initially this is why I was asking, was it discretionary? He was initially given no bond. Um, but it seems like once attorneys got involved and they uncovered that there were previous, um, restraints filed against the victim, uh, to not come within a few feet of, uh, the suspect or whatever the case may be, he was released. Uh, do you all know what happened behind the scenes with that or how does one go from no bond to, okay, now they can be released? I don't know specifically what happened in that case. And mm -hmm. It went from no bond to bond. Maybe Rukia can speak to that. But um, generally, there are some areas of the Constitution of Mississippi that provide for denying bond, but they're rare, right? They're they're rare. Mm -hmm. They're limited to situations 
um, where if it's a capital charge or if there's someone who's out of jail on a felony and commits another felony or in certain rare situations where they find that um, for certain high level felonies and there's a great danger to the community. Um, so those bond determinations can change, right? Okay. The other thing is that over time, what an attorney should do and what should happen is that courts should be reviewing bond determinations, right? It's perfectly normal and should happen more often where courts are going back and saying, okay, well, that bond was too high, right? Mm -hmm. now I'm looking at more evidence. Now I'm learning more about this person, right? Maybe now I have more information about they are someone who is going to be able to be supported in the community. So we want to encourage courts to go back and revisit those determinations, right? We don't want courts to feel locked into what they did the first time. And that's what, when an attorney, a, attorneys should be making those arguments and they should be asking the court to go back and say, okay, your honor, I understand that you made that decision, but that needs to change. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that we are pushing for is determination based on need and support. And so we know that when people actually are allowed to be released, um, and to return to court to, to fight the, their, their charges, their case, when they have proper support in terms of advocates, when they have the proper support in terms of uh, social support that they need to get back to court, um, there is a high rate of people coming back to court just in general. Mm. The issue is that people don't return to court, right? Right, right. That that's really important. A lot of the bail... Um, denial is one is supposed to be about the likelihood that you will return to court. And so sometimes, you know, that is used. But oftentimes what we see is that it's used as a firsthand punishment for just mm. being charged. People are punished for just being charged, whether they are innocent or guilty. Right. And so we want to switch that and give people an opportunity to actually have a fair judicial process. Um the uh, I don't know the exact situation mm -hmm. um, with the young person, Deshaun, um, that uh, that was involved in, in the incident that you talked about. But what I do know is that anytime we have been able to have an attorney, either from the public defender service or another um, firm, is able to actually step in and advocate on behalf of a person who's in need of bond or who is um, requesting bond we've been able to see some movement traditionally. Okay. And so it's harder when you don't have someone on your side pushing for that. And I think that goes also back to the need to fully fund our public defender service, right? When we talk about cash bail, we need to also talk about what does it mean to fully fund our public defender service? Public defenders should not make less than prosecutors, period. It okay. should not be a system where, where that happens. There shouldn't be oh, well, in this county, you can have a public defender service, but in this county, you're too poor, you can't have a public defender service. Public defender services should be for everybody, everywhere, and fully funded. Absolutely. And um, what can we, as the public, what can we do to assist and become involved with uh, MBFC? So much. We need y'all, one, to donate. Um, we have extended over... $200,000 worth of support and bail to people across the state of Mississippi, from northern Mississippi all the way to southern Mississippi to the coast. And in order for us to bail out more people, we need more funds. We need more, more funds. And we not only bail out people who are charged 
um, with um, various different um, uh, felonies or misdemeanors. But we also support when people are uh, at threat of being arrested for protests and their engagement in civil disobedience. Um, that's another form of important um, support and relief that we offer. So we need folks to donate. We need you to donate. And you can go to peoplesadvocacyinstitute.org and donate. As soon as you go on there, the big sign pops up. It says, donate now, Mississippi Bail Fund Collective. It's the first thing you see. Um, you can also look for us on Act Blue. Um, so you can go to Mississippi Bail Fund Collective on Act Blue. And you can click right there and donate. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar, five dollars. Everything helps. Everything helps. Everything helps. Y'all hear that? I know you got your stimulus checks. So come up off of that dollar or five dollars or something. And give us a follow on Twitter and on Facebook. We, our Twitter is MS Bail Fund. And we're the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective on Facebook. We don't have like a TikTok or anything. I'm too old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Katie, I wanted to ask you, um, sometimes public defenders can get a bad rep, especially if they're in situations where they may be overwhelmed with cases. Um, you know, you hear from um, some people who have been in that situation where uh, – my lawyer didn't care about me, man. She was just there doing the job and sent me up. To... So I don't get that vibe from you at all. I feel like you go all out for your clients. But do you think that that is um, another obstacle that we face? When it? Yeah, that's something I think a lot about because I am a public defender because I care about it. Right, because... right to be and because I think that everyone deserves the most zealous best representation no matter how much money they have um, I understand that like Lucia said there's a lot of issues with the public defender system here in Mississippi and the issues are that when it's not fully funded when it's not supported when there's not a consistent system across the state, what it means is that folks are often getting gaps in their representation. What we'll hear a lot from our clients is like, well, I don't, sometimes people won't know who their lawyer is, or they'll say they don't have a lawyer, or that there's, you know, between the, when they are charged, when they are indicted, they say there's no one for them to call. There shouldn't be gaps, right? Mm -hmm. People shouldn't wonder who their lawyer is. People should know who their lawyer is because that lawyer should be communicating with them, should be fighting for them. And I think there are some real problems that we all need to address. I, as a public defender, am dedicated to fighting to change that system. And I think that it's important for folks to know that the mission of a public defender is to give zealous representation. But I think we as Mississippians need to focus on making sure, in part, that we're caring about our public defender system so that the public defender system can really be there fighting for folks who need it. Um, so that's part, that's part of this ending cash bail journey, right? It's about right. making sure that we are supporting people that we, that, um, that need it. They're providing social support and we're making sure that they get the legal advocacy that they need. Oh man. Absolutely. Go ahead, Rikia. You're going to yeah, jump in. I was just going to add, um, Katie's absolutely right. And, and as Katie was, was talking, one thing that popped into my head that I, I think is important to mention on this call is the reality that we have a judicial and cash bail system that is inherently 
um, racially and class bias, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't keep just not saying the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. right? And so um, cash bail reform, wealth-based um, detention reform, right? Transitioning out of that, ending wealth-based detention is really important because continuing it continues this disproportionate treatment of black, brown, indigenous, and poor people, period. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think when we began to even the playing field where it doesn't matter if you are a particular race or class base, that everybody has access to a, a, a just judicial system, then we can see a better quality of life for everybody. We will see violence decrease. We will see um, you know, collateral consequences such as people being able to obtain jobs and, and different things like that and proper housing. We will see that shift. Right now, the collateral consequences of people who um, are, are forced to sit in jail for days and days because they can't afford even the $150 bond that they got, right, is a loss of job, mm -hmm. is a loss of housing, coming out, requiring other folks to provide that support for them. And so we need to see a shift. We need to improve the quality of life for everyone. Amen. She just gave a word there. Pass that plate around. Uh, ladies, I thank you so much um, for informing my audience on uh, the Mississippi Bell cash bail system. Uh, we definitely want it dismantled ASAP. And uh, we're thankful that we have uh, people like you all fighting in our corners. Um, I believe I had one more question to close out with. Um the situation in parchment, do we see any um, resolve coming to that situation anytime soon? I know it's been an uphill battle for quite a while, but uh, what do you guys thought on thoughts on that before I let you go? I think we have to be loud. Last year we were loud and we have to be even louder this year. I was there. We were there. Last year around this time, we were already in the streets. Mm -hmm. We had already had about three protests, right? Mm -hmm. With the biggest one coming closer to February, right? right. And then we continued all year. And that that loudness from the people, you know, really helped to push the governor to begin to shut down units in parchment. What we've seen now is that they're opening back up those units and not improving the conditions at all. And so we need to let them know we're watching, that we're not going to just stand by and allow that to happen. There are a lot of people in the Senate and in the House, the, leg the House legislature here in Mississippi that are really interested in parole expansion, which is really helping to decarcerate, depopulate the prison system. Um, but also um, there are people who recognize and understand the horrific conditions and treatment that's happening inside of parchment and other facilities. Mm -hmm. We had a few wins. We saw that the, the Department of Justice um, waged an investigation mm -hmm. into parchment penitentiary and three other Mississippi facilities. We need to make sure that during the Biden administration that those investigations continue. And so I think people tend to forget about us here in Mississippi when we're not loud. And so we need to continue to be loud. Um, I'm encouraging everyone to follow the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. Um, follow the People's Advocacy Institute. You know, we are an incubator for, for these types of groups and organizations. We help to incubate 
the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition, and we help to incubate the Mississippi Bail Fund Collective. So if you want to know more about those two places, you can go to our website, peoplesadvocacyinstitute.com, sign up, be a part. Let's do it. Thank you for asking. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Because I'm stuff like that pissed me off, you know, <laughs> and uh, I just try to use my platform to do my part uh, because, you know, um, I understand that some people do um, some bad things in society. They have to, um, you know, pay for their crime, but no one deserves inhumane and unjust treatment, you know, regardless. So um, I definitely want to see some change come to it. And I thank you for all that um, you all have done to um, continue to be loud and put your feet on the ground and spread the word. And I'm just here to do my part as well. Thank you. You are. You've given us a voice. Yeah, thank you. And and we are excited for all the folks who want to get involved. Find us on all of the social media we talked about. We mm-hmm. want to hear from you. We want to get everyone involved who wants to be involved because there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Follow those pages. Um, I definitely want to get involved myself. Um, I'm definitely going to support and uh, contribute to the cause. So we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you all joining Key to the City podcast. I am Yoni Kioni G. She is Rukia Lamumba and she is Katie Poor. This has been episode 36 of Key to the City podcast. Any last words, ladies? Speak now forever. Hold your peace. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, bail out Mississippi. Bail yeah, out Mississippi. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What's the hashtag? Uh, it's bail. Let's free them all. <laughs> yeah, let's do free them all. That, I love, that's always my favorite. Free them so, all. Free them all. Okay. There it is. Hashtag free them all. Key to the city podcast. Peace and blessings. Thanks again, ladies. You have a wonderful evening. All right. Thank you. You're welcome.